What I would say to a young Rihanna or any other little black girl out there who is in her own identity journey is that you are beautiful and you are strong and you are perfect just the way you are. No matter who or what or where tells you otherwise, your story is yours and yours alone and you can write it however you want and don't let anyone else try to hijack that narrative from you because you get to create your own version of blackness and never try to fit into somebody else's. Season two of Women. This season is solely dedicated to highlighting, celebrating, and amplifying the voices of black women. Our voices, our experiences, our existence, our bodies, our lives matter. Welcome to season two. Black, 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 black women. women. It's a time for black female voices to be incredibly courageous and outspoken because we are such a resilient and radiant culture and this is our time to reclaim our roots and embrace the fuck out of them. <laughs> That's why I got braids. <laughs> it's so exciting. This was these are allyship braids. It took me 30 years to get braids. I spent half of my life straightening my hair because those were all the Eurocentric Barbie loving media standards that I grew up with. And so I think for me, my identity journey as a biracial woman, and, and you know, you, I mean, yeah, you understand this firsthand, is, um, is so literally interwoven into my roots and into my hair because it's, it's like you're never – you're not white, but you're never black enough. And it's like, how can I, how can I explore that without, you know, without losing who I am, but also figuring out where I sit and like leaning into my blackness. That's, that's been a really long journey for me growing up with a white mom and a, and a, you know, black dad who was the only black family I had after five when his parents died. I had no cousins, no aunties, no nothing. And and since he passed away last year, that's, that's I'm all I got. <laughs> so, so I feel so grateful to have so, and this has been, um, it's been an active decision on my part to really seek out surrounding myself with more black voices and, and black culture and black media and black everything so that I can kind of catch up on all the culture I missed out on growing up. And I'm so grateful for the sisters that I've made, like you and like other friends who have really just completed or, or helping me to understand my blackness better. 
And I love it. I'm obsessed with blackness now. I'm so obsessed with it. I'm so obsessed with these braids. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Rihanna. Who I am is a walking ray of sunshine who is just bursting with personality and passion, who's as playful as I am profound and just a cultural sponge who is constantly seeking to learn and love and laugh. And what I do is on LinkedIn, I'm a full-time hustler because I do all the creative things. I'm a writer. I'm a model. I do styling. I've done branded photography. Um, but on the whole, I'm just a verbal and visual storyteller. So I was born in Chicago, Illinois in 1990 on April 3rd. I am the poster girl for Ariesdom. And my parents, Tyrone Xavier Jones or TX Jones and my mom, Nancy Bartholomew Jones, daddy's black and mommy's white. So I was raised surrounded, and I'm an only child, so I'm surrounded by so much love. They always put my education first. My father is incredibly gregarious and loud and fun and so smart, but just like fills up a room once he enters it. And I'm very much the same way, whereas my mother is just so caring and nurturing and present and engaged. And so it was just a, a childhood full of full of presence. And but also because I was the only child, I was just my imagination was my best friend. And I think that's what um, inspired me to be so creative and someone who is absolutely an ideator and not an executor. Um, but that's, that's a constant journey and evolution for me. But yeah, my childhood was just incredibly diverse and, um, I went to all public schools, but you know, the, the best that Chicago had to offer. So I was lucky to have an incredibly rich educational experience growing up also. And yeah, being... Being mixed in Chicago because I think out of any city in this country, Chicago is unquestionably like perhaps one of the most segregated socioeconomically despite being such a cosmopolitan city. I mean, obviously Obama and, and um, Hope for Winfrey and, you know, me, there are tons of black icons who come from, <laughs> who come from Chicago, but um but yeah, there's the, you know, my dad grew up on the South Side, which is just all black and, and you know, you see the, the struggle and you see the food deserts and you see that experience that is very different than the one that I grew up in. And yet I, I, you know, spent 18 years in Chicago and I've never seen a gun. And so I think there would be, there would be times where, you know, I would walk around and people would ask me like, well, what are you? You know, are you, are you black? Are you white? Which one do you align with? And when you're 
six, you don't really think about color. You just think about, well, you know, I am who I am and my mommy's white and my daddy's black and I'm just, I'm just a little gray baby in between. But, um, but then I, I remember, again, it was my hair that really pivoted this experience for me um, because and my mom said that this happened to me a couple times, but I, I went to a class one day. I was eight years old, and I asked um, a little boy with a rat tail where the bathroom was, and he pointed me to the boy's bathroom because he's like, your hair is short. I had a little baby fro, and he's like, and you look like a boy. And, you know, I didn't – I was – eight years old, so my tits weren't going to grow anytime soon. So I was like, well, I guess I have to change my hair because that's the only way I'm going to look feminine. And that's what I did for 12 years of my life. From eight to 20, I went to the hairstyles. And even that, you know, my mom took me to her hairstylist and he obviously had no idea what to do with my hair. And she would just chase me around with a comb trying to fix it. So we had to ask my first grade teacher, Mrs. Smith, who was a phenomenal black woman. I loved her um, to go to her stylist. And that was that was another shift. And then that way I matched my American Girl doll and like all the all the things, you know. And I because I did go to diverse schools and I did, you know, I was a cheerleader and I did all sorts of extracurricular things, but I think because my Father's experience was also very, um, very special in that he grew up all black neighborhoods south side of Chicago, but because his parents, and he was also an only child, but because his parents also put his education first, he ended up going to high school in this like Rockefeller scholarship program, taking inner city black kids to all white, small town Catholic school in Minnesota. And in order to thrive in that environment, he kind of had to like deflect his roots and deflect all of the racist, prejudiced crap that he had to, you know, go through. But he ended up having this wonderful experience and he met my mom there and like it ended up being this beautiful, you know, story and his narrative, but then even his black identity was a segmented one, even though he was 100% African-American. And so I think just the, the coalescence of both of those kind of altered mine, where again, I didn't grow up with like tons of black friends and black family and, and all of that in the way that other mixed friends of mine lead far more or lean more into their blackness from an early age just because they were surrounded by it, whereas I, I didn't really experienced that until yeah until moving to Brooklyn and like actively being in Bed-Stuy going to all the block parties hanging out with it <laughs> hanging out with with all the guys on the stoops and on the blocks and just like and falling in in love with the culture but in a very a very latent way and now I just I have so much pride and I'm constantly deepening my understanding and my exploration and the Black Lives Matter movement is just, it's so wonderful that the rest of the world is finally awakening to just the deep-rooted nuances of the Black experience, which is not monolithic and comes in so many, so many different textures and, and flavors. And that's also helped me in realizing that, like, 
yes, I am mixed. And yes, I had all these like obstacles in getting here, but I, I'm a black girl too, you know, and I don't have to apologize for, for any part of my story that I get to be my own kind of black girl. And, and that's been really liberating for me. It's true though. I actually, I, I realized the other day, um, maybe like a month or two ago, a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, Chloe, who um, has been doing like all the anti, just gorgeous blonde hair, blue eyed, but she's been doing all the anti-racist work like before, before it was a trend. And she, I was saying something and she's like, well, yeah, as a woman of color, that makes sense. And I realized that I've never actually called myself a woman of color, even though I clearly am, but because in some ways I feel like I've only benefited from my blackness and like so much of the um, the negative, oppressive, um, just fights that are being fought and that have been the, the targeting and the marginalization and, and so many people who, you know, walk out of their house and feel the color of their skin being something that will hinder their ability to navigate the world freely. I've never felt that. And so up until very recently, I, I didn't feel like I could really identify fully as a black woman and like lean, lead with as a black woman, as a woman of color. Yeah, because I just, I've never had the totality of that, that feeling. Um, and so, yeah, this is just, this has been a year of so much evolution into my, my blackness. And then also with my, my dad dying and like every, um, every, every one of these men and every one of these fathers who gets shot and killed, it's like, I feel his passing all over again, but then also the privilege of him being able to go with his family and with his loved ones. And it's just, yeah, this, I've done more, more self understanding and deepening of my identity this year than I think my whole life. And it's just, it's, it's really exciting to start a whole new chapter in my, my black girl identity. I think the moment where I most realized my beauty and power and greatness as a black woman is when I launched my Afro hair emoji campaign, which was two years ago. And again, just, you know, because I carry so much pride around natural hair and the ways that it's opened up so much liberation and beauty and power for black women, you know, going natural and and just reclaiming their roots, that we have this digital universal language. We're always on the internet, especially now we're always connecting in these digital spaces. And yet all of the humans have Eurocentric features. And so I 
wanted us to be able to celebrate ourselves and see ourselves in these conversations because we're super active. Black Twitter is always calling out everyone and we need to be having some afros and some black fists in our conversations. When I started this campaign, it was really something that I was just doing for, yeah, I had no idea where it would go. And I went to an event that was all about like black creatives. And towards the end, I just had this little voice of courage that rose up inside me. And I took the mic as everyone was leaving. And I said, you know, I'm starting this Afro hair emoji campaign. I'm, I'm trying to advocate for more Afro visibility in the tech world, if anyone's interested. And there was a New York Times reporter in the audience. And she ended up interviewing me and and it just it completely made my campaign go viral. I was on NPR and and now this and I started change.org petition it, and it became this amazing conversation around black hair and how it you know it's historical, political, social, emotional context is so pervasive around the globe and I'm still fighting for this you know little um little aspect of representation but we've seen just in the past two years with the crown act and with hair love winning the oscars and with so many so many of these stories of you know teenage boys being kicked out of school for wanting to wear their dreads to their graduation and just all of these ways that the the racism and the prejudice that we're really trying to counteract with these with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it's just it's so deeply embedded in our society in ways that you know you wouldn't even think with hair. And so that was that was a really powerful moment for me because it was one of the first times that I saw my voice have a true impact for my culture. And that was so special for me because it was just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a story that's so personal to me and so personal to so many others. Every black girl has a million hair stories and, and, and mixed girls and Brazilian girls and Afro-Caribbean girls and African girls. And I mean, it, it spans from... Paris to South Africa to um, to the Dominican Republic to here in, in Brooklyn and it's just it was just really special to see yeah the the beauty of our our faces and the power of our voices and just the the greatness of our story create this global conversation about our big hair energy mm. So for your original question of what black women have had the most impact in my life, only very recently that I have had a core group of black women impacting my life. And that is also something that shapes my narrative. And so for me, who was obviously the most impactful and influential in my life was my father because for so long he was really the only black voice in my life that I had on a consistent and 
deeply intimate and connected um, level. And so I think what I love, what I love so much about my dad that I'm appreciating so much more now than I did before is that he was never, um, he was never afraid to be himself. He was so unique. And also because he was the only child, he was full of dreams and full of imagination. He he got a master's at NYU just so he could be in New York to pursue stand-up comedy. <laughs> he got an MFA. And I just learned that like five weeks before he passed. And, uh, and he's just, he's so ambitious. He went to Northwestern um, when he was 17. Like he's just, he's this incredible incredible human who had such a passion for everything. He was like a walking encyclopedia of black and athletic history. And he just, he, like I said, he would light up a room. He had a huge smile and a huge laugh. And, and I carry all of that with me. And, um, you know, I, so for so many of us, when we're younger, we don't really appreciate our parents, and then in our 20s, we're so um, focused on asserting our own autonomy and independence that it's not really later in life that you make so many of the connections. And now that I don't have him around, I have to make so many of those connections on my own. And, um, And carry his story and his voice and his power and his greatness um, within me. But he, he was just, he was so authentic and he never apologized for who he was. And I think that's something that I really, I'm so grateful for. That he always pushed me to just be myself and... um and he was all, he was so proud of me all the time and um yeah you know it because i i'm i have such a huge personality i always feel like i have to make myself smaller in so many ways and with so many people especially in dating and um and he's just you know he was he was so unapologetically Tyrone Xavier Jones and and took up all the space and and his laugh could just yeah it just it could completely change your your life around and and I am that walking ray of sunshine and that's something that I'm super grateful for to him because it's it's one of the most shining pieces in my my story and my personality and that's all daddy <laughs> I'm fine Yeah, I really am. And I I always joke with all my mixed friends that, you know, we get the best of both worlds because I feel like I have all of my 
dad's greatest qualities, his his personality, his joy, his his greatness, his enthusiasm about everything and his curiosity. And then my mother, I have her her kindness and her intelligence and her she's just so sweet and loving and thoughtful. And I feel like we get the both we we get the best of both worlds with our looks, the fact that every color looks good on us, like everything. <laughs> I love being I love being mixed. Um but yeah, I um I'm very grateful to have had two such loving, engaged and present parents because the more I learn and the more people I meet, especially within the black community, I see more and more that that is a privilege. Um, and I think black fatherhood in so many of these conversations that we're having in so many of these in the Black Lives Matter movement and how so many of these bodies that we're losing are fathers, you know, who we need good fathers to raise good men. And the way that that conversation is is changing and you, it's so beautiful and it's so important because as much as masculinity can be toxic for women, it can also be very paralyzing for men. This whole provider syndrome has got to stop. This whole lack of, you know, emotional um, connection and intelligence and like making self-awareness the new, the new stoic. Like I just, I think it's so, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm really grateful for all the conversations that are happening right now and how mental health is is becoming such a safe space for people to be rather than a stigmatized one. I think is really going to change the narrative for the black community. And yeah, one that I wish my dad had growing up cuz he um yeah, he for him being a father was, you know, it was it was providing, and it was, and for so many men, that's that's their role, and you know, the mothers are more the nurturers, and so he he was so proud of me, and he he worked so hard to give me. He was always so proud of me, and he worked so hard to give me every opportunity that I'm so grateful to have had, but. You know, I just wish that I wish that there could have been less time working and more time bonding because now we don't have any time at all. But yeah, like I said, I, I it's it's all the more inspiration for me to champion my own voice and believe in myself and live my fullest, truest life because that's all he ever wanted for me. And I owe that to him and my mom and myself and the world. 
you know, it hasn't even been a year yet because he he passed um, December 22nd. He wanted so badly to hold out until Christmas because that's when his mom died. But there are days when I won't even think twice about it, you know, because I'll be like, I'll just be busy doing my own thing or really passionate about a project that I'm working at or just obsessing over my braids. Or <laughs> or then, you know, I'll, I'll hear an Aretha Franklin song or the Sam Cooke song that we listened to on repeat before he passed away or, you know, someone mentioning a Christina Aguilera concert and like that's what he, that was our first concert together. Just all these little nuggets that you wouldn't think would be triggering and then it'll just hit me like a ton of bricks. But that's, that's grief. And I think that's also a silver lining that's come out of this pandemic is that this country has had to reckon with grief and death in ways that we never do because Western culture loves to just put it off and not talk about it because it's too negative and it's too dark and it's unhappy. But um, yeah, there, there's so many ways to reconnect with your ancestors and your lost loved ones um, and just recreate that relationship and carry them with you with light and with gratitude and greatness. And that's um, something that is going to be a constant process and evolution for me, but a really beautiful and, and also liberating one. The words black woman to me mean a queen who is as resilient as she is radiant, who is as grounded as she is glorious, who is vibrant and yet full of stories and textures and struggles. I think there's something that is so special about black women in that in so many ways we just have to carry everything and yet we do it with courage and with strength and we get shit done and we look fabulous while doing it and there's just the, from the way that we dance to the way that we talk the way that we laugh the way that we dress it's just like energy it's a it's a force field and that's part of what makes me so proud to be a black woman is there's just no culture that shines brighter and it just it's just glowing with grace and gratitude and just greatness we're just fabulous it's just, you can always tell there's just there's just such a difference in and energy and spirit and vibrancy and, and the music and yeah. And because I love to dance, I just, I love it. It's like a, a black girl picnic is so different from any other person's type of picnic and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's, and that's just how we do. That's just how, there's also a, a, a sense of, there's so much ingenuity and creativity, I think, in being a black woman because also, you know, I work a lot in fashion and the way that the fashion industry 
has never been built by or for black women, and yet we are the most stylish sect of human, and yet, you know, it's it's not made for our bodies, it's not made for our skin. There's so many obstacles that we face in navigating and shining in a world that is was not created for us, and yet somehow we still are the reigning queens. And there's just this, you know, like I said, it's this beautiful radiance and resilience that is so ingrained in our DNA from the crowns on our head to the jewels on our feet. And I'm just, I just love black women. And I'm so honored to be one. <laughs> Those were snaps for black women, not for me. <laughs> Black Joy for me was Juneteenth 2020 because in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement and in the midst of economic fallout and grief and death and everything, it was this day that was uniquely ours and I happened to go to this amazing day party at Fort Greene Park that was organized by this group called The Layout. And it was a meditation for black lives. And then it was just DJs and dancing and color. And, you know, everyone had their masks on and everyone was being socially distant, but it was still like the first taste of Brooklyn summer that makes Brooklyn so special. And it's like we're all the black joy comes out. Summer in Brooklyn is just nothing but black joy. And because we were quarantined, it was just, it was, it was just this explosion of, of light and joy and reflection and, um, and meditation, but also like asses everywhere. And I loved it because it's like no matter how, how much the world tries to put us down, we are still able to come back up better and brighter. And it was so fun just to see people just being and breathing. And and that's that's what black joy is to me. It's just like no matter what your circumstances, you always find space to smile and dance and just be. What I would say to a young Rihanna or any other little black girl out there who is in her own identity journey is that you are beautiful and you are strong and you are perfect just the way you are. No matter who or what or where tells you otherwise, your story is yours and yours alone, and you can write it however you want, and don't let anyone else try to hijack that narrative from you because you get to create your own version of blackness and never try to fit into somebody else's.
I always say as a storyteller that one of my biggest passions is to just inspire everyone to be their best, most beautiful, and truest self. And so my ask for Black women, which is my same ask for myself, but I always give advice better than I take it, is to just be you and use your voice and champion it and whatever you feel called to do to take the steps and lay the foundation to do it because we spend so much time working for other people, doing for other people, giving to other people, pouring into other people, and so little on ourselves and our hopes and our passions and our dreams. And we need that to be our legacy. We need that to be what changes the narrative for Black women and what we are capable of in our community. And I just think the more that we are seen and heard, the more that we will be able to have our beauty and our power and our greatness just be the normal rather than the one or some version of tokenization or something that, you know, needs to be discussed and needs to be highlighted that we can just reign the way that we were put on this earth to do rather than having to work so hard to to share our stories. Black women, I love you. And I thank you for inspiring me to find my own light. And I hope that in some ways this conversation has inspired you to shine brighter too. Women is a series brought to you by Geneva Peshka. This series hopes to serve as a beautiful reminder to take the time to truly see each other, both in our differences and commonalities. On our site, womendocseries.com, you will find a gender non-specific toolkit that will help you facilitate an intimate conversation like those featured in women. We encourage you to engage in these conversations with family, friends, acquaintances, and willing strangers to spark and deepen connection, understanding, and respect. Happy connecting. Happy connecting.